Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all. Um, I'm going to begin reading in Second Timothy, the first chapter, starting in verse 12. And I'm going to really abbreviate what I had planned for today and put it off till next week uh, for time's sake. But we started looking last week at the idea of steadfastness, commitment, uh, stick-to-itiveness, if that's a word. I don't think it is, but I'll use it. Um, we see here in this passage many references to committing, things being committed in one direction or the other, things being committed to the Lord, things being committed to the Lord's people, things being committed to each other. Um, So I'll start reading in verse 12. Paul is telling Timothy here, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Fugilus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find the mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. That is the word of the Lord from Paul to Timothy, and by extension to us. Here in this passage in Paul's letter to Timothy, we see him beginning to talk about things relating to commitment, relating to faithfulness. And we see three different directions that these things are going. We see commitments being made to the Lord, to the gospel, and to each other, to our fellow man. The words used here keep twice in the 12th verse where Paul is talking about who he has believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. So here we have Paul committing unto the Lord the keeping of his soul. Verse 13 begins with the words hold fast. That's a tenacious 
hanging on to if you fall over the edge of a thousand foot precipice and you happen to grab a tree, you're not going to let go of that branch because you want to hang on. That's holding fast. That's what that idea is. In verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, Paul tells Timothy, keep. It's been committed unto Timothy. And he's to keep it. In verse 15, we see failure to keep. We see that Fugilis and Hanumaganas have turned away from Paul. They had a commitment and they've turned away from it. They weren't the only ones, but they're the only ones here mentioned. But we we see in this passage over and over and over again references indicating faithfulness, commitment, steadfastness, holding fast, keeping those things. It's not an easy life, this Christian life. It If you don't tread water, you either are swimming ahead or you're floating downstream. There is no standing still. What we have been given, the, 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 the glorious gift of our salvation, we've got to hang on to it. We've got to pursue it with all that we are, with all that we have, with all that we can. We've got to pursue it. Otherwise, you're going backwards because there's no standing still in this life that we live. As we were worshiping, I was stuck on Psalm 125, the first couple of verses. I didn't get a place to read it, but, you know, Paul is talking about the Lord and he knows who he has believed and because he knows him he is persuaded that he is able to keep that your life can absolutely be banked on the Lord keeping you we sing that song here he will hold me fast I will always be thankful to brother Dean for for bringing that song to our congregation. Um, and I'm going to read, I'm going to depart from for a second, but it does fit. Psalm 125, the first two verses. They that trust in the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying, is that I know whom I believed and he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Paul is trusting the Lord to keep that which he's committed. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Sion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. The Lord will never let you go. The Lord will hold you fast. What you have committed unto the Lord, He will keep it. In this life, Jesus says, you will suffer persecution. In, in the 
third chapter of Second Timothy, verse 11, I mean, just a few strokes of the pen after he wrote this, Paul, Paul didn't write, this is a letter, this is not written in chapter and verse. He, this is Paul's thought, start to finish. Um, but in chapter 3, verse 11, Paul is talking about what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. In this life, there's no expectation that everything's going to be smooth sailing. Everything's going to be wonderful and easy. I've heard in my Christian experience, I've heard people, I've probably even done, I'm sure I've done it myself, Come to the Lord and, and, and He'll make everything good for you. Well, that ultimately, yes, but that can lead a person to, to come to the wrong expectations. This, this life is, is hard. We are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But we fear no evil, for He is with us. And... Here we see that Paul is encouraging Timothy to hold fast to the form of sound words. That's the gospel that that Paul has passed on to Timothy, which he received from the Lord. I think it's 1 Timothy 6, 20, or in the first chapter. I thought I had it down. I always get confused with my notes. But um, Paul there tell, tells us that the gospel was committed unto him of God. It was the gospel of God who committed it to Paul. Now Paul has committed the gospel unto Timothy. And we see in the beginning of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy that Paul says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So that's how the gospel goes. But here we see in, starting in verse 15, that Paul shifts gears to an example of commitments that are not kept. We see that uh, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Well, this is one of those times where the usage of the word all is not explicitly to be taken as every single one because Timothy himself was in Asia. Timothy didn't depart from Paul. Onesiphorus, who we see a verse later, uh, was also in Asia. He didn't desert Paul. So Paul is referring to probably a group of individuals that, don't forget, Paul was in a prison in Rome not in Asia. So there no doubt was a group or a subset of people from Asia. The, the Ephesus was in Asia. And there, there, was, there was no doubt a group of people from Asia that were in and around Rome when Paul was in prison there. And his prison was not a prison like you're thinking of. It was a pit dug down into the sewer under the city covered over with a grate you're just in a black hole you're you're only ever put there 
awaiting your execution, or you were put there to starve to death and just you then you were pushed on into the sewer after that. Um, horrible, horrible, horrible place. Um, and this is where Paul found himself at the hands of uh, Nero. Now, so it wasn't every single person, but it's kind of a loose usage of the word, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And then he mentions two men specifically. And we don't know why. The the truth has to be stated right off the hop here that this right here in this one verse, this is the only mention of either one of these two guys' names in all of Scripture. So apart from this bit of detail, we know absolutely nothing about them. If it's not in Scripture, it's not something we know. We cannot bank anything on our imaginations and our conjectures why. So, But there are no throwaway verses in the Bible. So we are being told, Timothy is being told in this letter, keep, keep in mind that this is in the form of a letter. These men have abandoned him, of whom, indicating that there was more than just Fugilis and Hermogenes, saying his name, you're supposed to roll your R, my tongue won't do that. Um, but of whom are these two guys? So in my imagination, and I'll hear I'm, departing from knowledge and I'm just my imagination. Why are these two guys mentioned specifically to Timothy? It's possible that they were the ringleaders of this departure. We don't really even know what the departure, what form it took, but probably, possibly they were in a position to give character reference to be some sort of witness for Paul, uh, maybe help him or maybe even just encourage him. But things got really ugly for Paul and everybody who was there that possibly could have supported him turned and went the other way. So Paul was left alone. These two men are specifically mentioned, which makes me wonder if, you know, the likelihood of Timothy knowing who these two individuals were, he probably did. Maybe they were ringleaders of those that departed. Maybe these guys being from Asia, maybe they were in and around Timothy's own congregation in Ephesus. And maybe they were even in leadership at Timothy's church in Ephesus and as such Paul is enlightening Timothy that these these guys failed when when the going got tough these guys didn't come through so if you have them in leadership if you have them in any position of responsibility be aware that they may or may not come through if things are tough this is all my imagination this is all just 
closing the book and turning the video camera on and letting it play and seeing where you're imagining. This, this is not Scripture. We know nothing about these two guys. But maybe that was it. Maybe it was more pastoral in intent. You know, guilt will absolutely eat your lunch. If you do something intentionally, maybe most likely unintentionally, and you harm somebody, if I do something against you and I didn't mean to and I go away and I realize that, you know, it's always easier for me personally if you fail me, I can get over that way quicker than if I fail you. Guilt will absolutely eat a person up. And so Paul sees these two guys fail him. Maybe Paul knows that they're headed back Timothy's way. Maybe Paul is concerned about the baggage they're going to be carrying back because on that long walk back to Ephesus or you know, in the, in the ensuing time, there, Paul knows how guilt works. He's, they're going to be overcome. They're going to need somebody to come alongside them and help them walk through that. We've all had that kind of angst in our life where we've done something and we have that guilty feeling about it. I don't, again, I don't know this. This is not Scripture. It's just, why are these two guys mentioned here in Scripture by name to Timothy? Um, And it could be a combination of all of those things. But we don't know anything except that they had the chance to stand with him but they did not, and they departed. Um, There's a good chance Timothy understood more of why Paul mentioned them specifically, uh, but, but we don't have that information. And so... Uh, if Scripture doesn't say it, it's important for us to realize we don't know it. But... Maybe uh, this morning I was I was led to Galatians, uh, thinking about this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw this to a close uh, and not get too onesiphorous today. But um, in Galatians, if I know my Bible, I can be able to find Galatians in chapter six. And this is thinking me thinking along the lines of these guys returning back to Asia, wherever they're... It doesn't say that they absolutely apostatized and they're now running from the faith. No, they just failed to stand up for Paul. They failed to, to do the right thing when they had a chance. And so they're coming back to Asia. And here's where we, the church, should be anytime any one of us has any kind of issue 
like not coming through when we should. Galatians chapter 6, the very first verse, Paul is telling them, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The heart of Christ is always towards forgiveness. The heart of Christ is always restoration, reconciliation, mercy. Psalm 25 says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. Um, We need to be gracious with one another. We need to be... I'm I'm the worst one for this kind of thing. I'm preaching more to myself right now than anybody because I tend to see black and white and I know that that's not a good thing. We need to be gracious with one another. We need to be compassionate knowing that at any time, whatever you did, I can do ten times worse in a heartbeat. It, like, nobody is immune to this. And there is always forgiveness. There is always mercy. There is always grace. And thinking of Paul having been abandoned and all they which are in Asia be turned away from me in my hardship, in my time of distress. There's another instance in Scripture of that exact thing. And we find that in Matthew 26, 56. The Lord Jesus, all of his disciples, forsook him and fled. Imagine the weight of that that they all carried past that. We see the Lord after ministering to Peter. And I'm confident, although it's not in Scripture, so we don't know it, but I am confident that each one, the Lord also ministered to each one regarding their forsaking Him and fleeing. The Lord is always merciful. The Lord is always gracious. The Lord will always seek reconciliation. We're told that in our time of need, not not our time when everything's good and I've done everything right, in our time of need, we can boldly approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find that grace to help in time of need. And we so need to keep that in remembrance. We need to stamp that verse right on our forehead because our knee-jerk reaction when we fail 
is to do the same thing Adam did in the garden. I heard the sound of your voice and I hid myself. And that's what we do. That, that, that is the, the carnal human nature, natural response to flee, to run. They fled from Jesus. We know Jesus restored Peter. I am confident that he also, one by one, got the others and restored things with them. The Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are clay. He is God and we're not. We follow him the best we can. We, we, we pursue him. The Proverbs, I think, somewhere says the righteous man falls seven times. Well, if you're falling seven times, that means you're getting up. You know, you don't fall, if you fall once and you don't get up, you're not falling again. We fall, we get up. We fall, we get up. The Lord is gracious and the Lord is merciful. And so, so we see in Jesus' time of need, his disciples all forsook him and fled. Unless we look down our nose at them, know that each one of us would have done the same. We are no different. And so in Matthew 26, just before the disciples fled, says there that as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to the disciples. This was the last supper that they had together with each other. If you would pass that around, please. And he did this knowing that one of the twelve there with him was Judas the one who would betray him. Yet he did not deny Judas the bread and the wine. Jesus is our faithful high priest, merciful in every way. That really came out in our worship today. So once you get your bread, hang on to it and we will all partake together. We'll also pass around the juice and the wine. Please, thank you. So in the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So please partake and eat of the body of Christ given for you. And in the same manner, after supper, he also took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you do it in remembrance of me. So please partake.
So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are a merciful God, that in you there is always forgiveness, in you there is always mercy, in you, Father, there is always reconciliation. And Father, as came out so clearly in our prayers today, help us, Father, to in turn convey that reconciliation to the world around us, to those that are hurting, to those who are doing the hurting. Help us to be conduits of your love, of your mercy, of your grace, and of your reconciliation. You, You say in your word that we are ministers of reconciliation. Strengthen us to that task. Help us, Father, to get up every time we fall and to plow forward some more. May we never give up. May we never stop trying. May we never stop pushing forward. Because, Lord Jesus, You didn't stop at anything for us. You completely saw it through. You fully finished and accomplished all that the Father gave You to do. And You saved us. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.